Testing one, two, one, two. To kneel with me, and uh, let's have a, a, a moment of prayer before we get started here. So, you want to uh, handle the camera? <laughs> Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we come before you and we praise you for who and what you are, that you are a God of love and a God of um, compassion and, and fairness, but also a God of justice. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, that you have compassion upon us and uh, you are long-suffering and you forgive us. And, and, Lord, we do ask forgiveness for our sins uh, and, and our sins as a church, as a people. Uh, we most humbly pray your forgiveness. Now, Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given to each and every one of us. You keep your word toward, uh, that you've given to us. And uh, by faith we look up to thee. And, uh, and we hold on to thee in your promises. And Father, we thank you for this Sabbath day. that We could come together and, and worship you. And sing praises to your name and, and study out of the inspired writings. Father, we thank you that uh, you've protected those writings through time for us who live down here just before Jesus is to return. Now, Father, I pray for those on our prayer lists. I pray for those that uh, are sick and ill and recovering. I thank you for being with me and my family, for being with Susan as she's recovering. I thank you, Lord, for being with uh, uh, the Newcomb family and, and sustaining them. Roland hasn't, uh, has been unemployed for three years and four months and one day. And... Uh, we're only given one day, and you've been uh, with them for that long. And uh, I know that you've promised to be with us forever. And so, Lord, uh, uh, please continue to bless us, not only with health, but with the necessities we need, to, not only to, to live, but to uh, give testimony to our friends, our loved ones, and neighbors that you, you are the true God, and uh, that Jesus is salvation. And Lord, I humbly ask for the, uh, another measure of the Spirit as I, uh, as I speak here and finish up this uh, particular message. I pray that you give me the words to speak, that hearts will be uh, willing to listen, to accept the truth, and study to show themselves approved. And Lord, I thank you for Jesus, for all he's done for us, and living a righteous life as our example and dying at Calvary for our sins and being our high priest in heaven now. Soon he will come as king. May we be ready for that day, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I have a lot to share with you. This is part three of the message that I've entitled, Sending Elijah. Uh, it is part of the series, This is My Body. Uh, defining God's church. Now, in this series, we've come to find ten primary characteristics described in the Word of God uh, of the church. And there are, of course, more attributes um, in Scripture, but these are the most prominent, I think, you'll find of the true church of God. And the others will build upon this, uh, or fall within these ten traits, uh, I think, like a hand fits a glove. Um, now, in part one of Sending Elijah, we started looking at the the particular part of this attribute called the spirit of prophecy because it is a sign of the remnant uh, church in the last days. In part one we read where the apostles Peter and Paul said that in the last days there would be scoffers and mockers. Do you remember that? It was a few weeks ago, I know. Um, but that there would be, that the, the Peter and Paul said, you know, in our day, the day we're living in, there would be scoffers scoffers and mockers, and it would be a perilous time, they said. And I listed three things that have happened in the last 200 years, things that have brought the world uh, into greater spiritual peril than at any previous time in world history. And these three things help usher in, uh, beloved, uh, the great battle between the two seeds that is spoken of there in Genesis 3.15. If you uh, recall, the seed of the woman which is God's people, which is His church, and the seed of the serpent, which is the devil's people, which is the church of Antichrist. And these three things were, as I bring these to your attention again, the development of higher criticism. 
Higher criticism has at its foundation doubt. You doubt the author of the writings. You doubt the time of the writings. You doubt, uh, uh, you, you uh, say uh, that it was explicit just for that culture. The whole emphasis starts with doubt. Whereas God's principles of criticism is that you take His word as it reads. Very simply. The second thing was the development of the theory of evolution and uniformitarianism. You remember, Peter described the scoffers that said, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And I had explained that. The third thing was the development of modern spiritualism. And uh, we read from Patriarchs and Prophets, the definition of this, what is called, why is it called modern spiritualism? It says, modern spiritualism, resting upon the same foundation, is but a revival in a new form of the witchcraft and demon worship that God condemned and prohibited of old. By the way, if you take uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary and you try to find the word spiritualism, you will not. It's not in there. You see... Spiritualism uh, had been pretty much dormant until, you know, if you recall in uh, part one, I talked about the Fox sisters and the wrappings at their uh, house in 1848. And uh, spiritualism had been dormant until then so that Daniel Webster didn't have it in his 1828 dictionary. But the three developments I've shared, higher criticism, evolution, modern spiritualism, show us how dangerous the world has become and why we are living in an age and world of true unbelief in God, no matter what the profession of people may be. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. God knew about it. And because, not, because God knew about this, He did a great thing for His people. We learned that in such a time throughout history, God would send a prophet to help His people so His name would always be on the earth. We noted three specific times in part one when God sent a prophet, but the person was described as actually being more than a prophet. We noted the three that God sent. You recall? Moses was sent to bring God's people out of Egypt. John the Baptist was sent to introduce them to Christ at his first advent. And an end-time prophet is to be sent to prepare God's people to meet Jesus face-to-face at his second advent. And all of these people, all of these people were referred to as Elijah prophets. And all three are more than a prophet. Now, we're interested about the Elijah prophet for the time of the end that God promised to send because we're living in the time of the end. Our scripture reading for today was Malachi 4 and verse 5. God had promised His people, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Speaking specifically about the second coming. In part 2, Last time we were together, we saw that God often uses the weakest of the weak to bring glory to His name. We read in the Bible that God chose to use an instrument that would be so weak that we would be forced to recognize, if we were willing to recognize, that this was the power and the wisdom and the might of God. God chose to send His message through the weakest of the weak. Now, who are the weak? Do you recall? Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together with the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if God said He was going to send a message through the weakest of the weak, who would it be? It would have to be a woman, wouldn't it? But it would not be just a woman. There are some women who are much stronger than other women. It would have to be a woman who was weak. Right? Not just weak as a woman, but a weak woman. (laughs) 
The Bible presents a number of instances, because some people, we went, we went through this, and I showed where uh, there were women prophets throughout the Bible. Some people don't believe that a woman can be a prophet. But the Bible contradicts that. Uh, presents a number of instances where women have been entrusted with this gift of the Spirit. Miriam, you remember her? She was the sister of Moses. She was a prophetess. As was Deborah, with whose inspired aid, Barak conquered the Canaanites. You can read about that in Judges 4. Uh, Isaiah's wife was a prophetess. Also Huldah, who aided Hilkiah the high priest in reform, uh, reforms of Josiah, if you remember that, king of Judah, Second Kings. You can read about that. But we also found that there are false prophetesses mentioned in the scriptures. Nehemiah 6.14, Revelation 2.20, you can go there. Those are a couple of examples. Now, let me ask you, is that a surprise? Is it a surprise that Satan would send false prophets or false prophetesses? Well, it shouldn't be. Jesus warned us to beware of false Christs and false prophets. And I will tell you this. It, when you take a look at the history of God's people, you'll find that when God sends a, a prophet, that Satan then sends false prophets to cause great confusion. Now, he'll send them from throughout time, okay, from time to time, to continue the confusion. But specifically, when you look at the time of Isaiah, when you look at the time of Jeremiah, you go back and look at these times. Ezekiel, Elijah. There were false prophets that came about the same time. Because Satan wants to counteract the word of God. See? There were false prophets during the time of Moses when he was sent by God to guide the Hebrews to the promised land. There were false prophets when John the Baptist was pre uh, preaching repentance and that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now remember, the Jews were looking for the actual prophet Elijah. You know, the one who lived during the time of Ahab. They were looking for him, specifically, uh, to return. So when they heard John the Baptist preaching, they questioned him as to who he was, if he was Elijah. And the Jews were always dealing with false Christs and prophets that would lead uh, many people to ruin. Of course, John said, no, I'm not that prophet. They misunderstood. Jesus had clarified that. He said they were called Elijah prophets because they come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. See? That's why they're referred to as Elijah prophets. But there were false prophets around the time of Moses. There were, remember when Moses went into the Pharaoh and they, he had his prophets there to try to counteract. Moses threw the staff on the ground. Turned into a serpent. And what did the prophets, the false prophets of Pharaoh do? They threw staffs down, supposedly, right? Turned to snakes. And so there were uh, false prophets at uh, the time of John the Baptist when Jesus was here. There was one, he's named Judas, the son of Hezekiah. There was one named Simon. There was one, Athrages. They were around just before Jesus. Then there was Barabbas. You remember Barabbas? Who was Barabbas? Now there were a number of people called Barabbas back then, but there was one in particular uh, that was brought out and they were given the choice between Jesus of Nazareth and Barabbas. You remember him? Barabbas was considered a Messiah during the time of Jesus. And not long after Jesus, there was a false prophet named Thutis in Judea. And then a fellow named Menahem, ben Judah, who partook in revolt against uh, King Agrippa II. And after uh, Menahem ben Judah, there was one named Simon Bar Kokhba who was defeated in the, the uh, Second Jewish-Roman War. He died around 135 A.D. All these, and what you'll find a, a common thread with uh, these false prophets and these false messiahs, they tended to be zealots. And they wanted personally to lead Israel to victory over their oppressors and sit on the throne of David themselves. 
Again, as a misapplication of prophecy that had helped lead Israel to reject the true Messiah. They thought he was going to come, run out to their oppressors, and sit on the throne. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that Satan would raise up false prophets during the time of the Elijah prophet that God promised to send to his end time church? You think Satan's going to let that go by without doing something? Absolutely, he's going to send them. That is why the Bible has given certain tests of a prophet of God so that we can compare such people to what the Word of God says. And I'll tell you, friends, that around the time the three angels' messages were first given, the end of the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14, when Jesus was moving from the holy place in heaven to the most holy place, that there were false prophets sent by Satan to confuse and divert people away from the most solemn message for mortal man. And I want to share some of these prominent, quote, prophets that began to hit the scene just before the Advent movement during the time of Ellen White. There was a lady by the name of Ann Lee. Ann Lee worked with and then led the Shakers. Have you ever heard of the Shakers? Like Ellen White, she received no education. After joining the Shakers, she began to have visions and make revelations, which she called testimonies. She was accepted as the leader of the Shakers, and then as, as get this, the second appearing of Christ. She required a peculiar kind of dress. She opposed war and the use of pork. Do you notice some similarities to the truth that we find in God's Word with this person? Doesn't Satan use some scripture to try to deceive? He tempted Christ by misquoting scripture, or misapplying it actually, and misquoting it. Then there was a Joanna Southcott. She was born in England to poor parents. She was uneducated as well. She worked as a domestic servant till she was 40 years old. Like Ellen White, she was a Methodist. She joined the church in 1790. In 1792, she announced herself as a prophetess and published numerous pamphlets setting forth her revelations. She was a Sabbath keeper. She had trances and announced the speedy advent of Christ. Again, I'll ask you, do you notice the similarities there with some truth mixed in? Here's one I'm sure you probably remember. Joseph Smith. You know who Joseph Smith was? He was the founder of the Mormons, also known as the Latter-day Saints, who in 1823 began to have visions and revelations and said he conversed with angels. Well, we know that those weren't heavenly angels. Smith published a number of books. He claimed the second advent of Christ was at hand, hence the name Latter-day Saints. His mission was to introduce the new dispensation where they, the Mormons, the Latter-day Saints, are the saints and all the other churches are heathen or Gentiles. Again, can you see some similarities to the truth here? Now let me ask, ask you, if there wasn't similarities, would anyone be deceived? Very few. Then there's, I'll share this last one with you, Mary Baker Eddy. Have you ever heard of her? She's the prophet, quote, founder of the Christian Science Church. She published a number of books. Like Mrs. White, she had a great interest in health. In 1890, she published the most famous book, Science and Health, which has been translated into over 16 languages and reportedly read by over 10 million people. The disciples of Mrs. Eddy believe her writings to be inspired and infallible. So, you see, beloved, that there are prophets that Satan sends during the time of the true prophet in order to bring confusion and deception. Now you may ask, well, Pastor Joel, how do you know that these people are false prophets? <laughs> That's a very fair question. Here's my answer. God has given His Word to us that contains tests of a true prophet of God, and by using these tests we can discern, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, the true from the false. 
So I'm going to lay out for you here, I'm going to take some time here, I'm going to lay out the biblical tests of a true prophet that is sent from God to his people. Now let me ask you something. Beloved, do you believe in the Word of God? I believe it with my whole heart. And because I found it to be true. I found it to be trustworthy. In fact, really the only thing trustworthy on this earth. So my friends, it is safe to trust God's Word. And we're given these tests of a prophet by God so that we may use them to discern the true from the false with confidence. And that's a key. So I can declare with confidence who is and who isn't a prophet of God by comparing them to the tests in the Word of God. Now I'm going to list ten tests and I'll give some texts. There are lots of texts that back these up, but I'm not going to give you all of them. We'd be here for a few days. I'm not going to spoon feed you either. You need to learn to study, depend on God and the Holy Spirit to lead you to the truth. Amen? I'll give you some texts here. That back each one. First, if a person is a true prophet, they're going to tell the truth. Kind of simple, isn't it? The Bible says that it is impossible for God to lie. So if He sends a prophet and gives that prophet a message, it's going to be the truth. Isn't that right? They'll make predictions that God has given them. They'll make predictions that come true. Jeremiah 28, verses 8 and 9. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. That's, that's kind of another principle too. God sends a prophet to warn his people not to give them lovey-dovey messages that everything's peace and safety. Okay, and that's what Jeremiah's talking about here. God had sent prophets before, and they prophesied against many countries, against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. See? Then in verse 9 he says, The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. In other words, he's going to, he's going to speak the truth, and his predictions will come true whether they're predictions of peace or predictions of war. The second test, a true prophet will prophesy in the Lord's name. 2 Peter 1 verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Ghost. Men who were moved by the Holy Ghost spoke the messages they had received from God. Isn't that correct? Men who are moved by the Holy Spirit will be holy men. They will be men of God. They come in the Lord's name, not their own. Very rarely, I can't think of, in fact, any place where a prophet of God described in the Bible or anywhere else comes out and says, I'm a prophet of God. Now, I know Paul has said uh, that he was an apostle of God. But, of course, he had the fruits to, to be able to back that up. So Now, I'm not saying that they never have. I just haven't come across where one has said that. John the Baptist said, I'm one crying in the wilderness. So, Third test, a true prophet will not give a private interpretation of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, verse 20, if you back up one verse, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Well, what does that mean? Well, you see, a prophet is the Holy Spirit's mouthpiece, essentially, and thus under divine guidance, they will not intrude their own ideas into the messages that were given them for the benefit of God's people. Now, it's not dictation, Unless the Lord said to a prophet, write this down, like he did with Jeremiah, and sometimes with Ellen White. But inspiration, God inspires these men, see, 
to write down in their own words the best way they can to communicate to their particular audience. That's why when you pick up the Bible, it's the, the authors of all these different books of the Bible were men of different cultures and men of different station in life. And men, The Bible can reach anyone, see? No matter your position in life or your station, your gender, etc. No private interpretation. They don't put their own ideas into it, their own opinions. Fourth test, the true prophet will point out the sins of God's people. That's a big one. That's a big one. Because God wants us to repent so that we can come and become a member of His family again. And if the sins aren't pointed out, there is no repentance, is there? Isaiah 58 and verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Now this isn't just limited to prophets, but also any leaders, any elders, any deacons. Sometimes, and, and maybe even mainly so, members of the body. Now we're not the sin police, but if there's sin in the camp, it's to be recognized, isn't it? But if a person is a true prophet, they will not just come to you, like I said before, with some lovey-dovey, sloppy agape, as Susan would say, message, and never tell you about your character defects, which need to be changed. And a call for repentance. Moses did it. John the Baptist did it. Jesus did it. Elijah did it. The end time Elijah prophet will do it. Test 5, a true prophet will warn God's people of coming judgment. In Daniel chapter 7, we read about the judgment. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. That's our Heavenly Father. Whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Here we know Daniel, prophet of God, saw the judgment in a vision, and he's given warning. He wrote it down for us. Here's another one. Romans chapter 2. You'd say, what? Romans 2? <laughs> Romans chapter 2. Beginning with verse... Three, this is Paul. Was Paul a prophet? Absolutely. Paul said, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? He's also calling, out, uh, calling for repentance, pointing out sin, isn't he? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. What is Paul doing here? Romans 2. He's giving warning of God's judgment, isn't he? Well, as a prophet, that's what a prophet does. Paul was an apostle and a prophet of God. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. We're familiar with this, first angel's message. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. Let's have a reverent awe for God. And give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters. So, the Apostle John, also a prophet, saw this in vision while on the Isle of Patmos, and he's warning about the judgment. Now, we know through our study of prophecy that this message was fulfilled in the fall of the year 1844, and we're now living during the judgment, friends. How is your walk with God? We're living in the time of the judgment. Test 6. A true prophet will recognize and teach that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Friends, this is a big test. 
this has proven false prophets uh, many times, many, many times. First John 4, verse 1 to 3. John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets, he says, are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now that word for flesh there is the Greek word sarx. It means of our substance. Our carnal substance. Okay? Verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Not only did Jesus become a man, flesh and blood and bones, but He became a man like us, with a carnal nature, and not one like Adam had before He fell. Jesus became... In fact, I probably ought to, ought to do a series on that. Jesus became like us in substance, like He was God in substance. You understand what I'm saying? And He came after the need of a Savior. So He had to come in a substance like as we are today, not like Adam was when He was created. There's quite a difference between the two. And we want to follow the true Christ, don't we? And the same Jesus that Paul and the apostles followed. Isn't that right? Test 7. A true prophet will not lead people into fanaticism. You see, fanaticism, if I, if I were to define fanaticism in as succinct a way as possible, it would be adding to or taking away from God's Word. That's about as simple a definition as I can give as what fanaticism is. A true prophet will not lead people into fanaticism. They won't teach some crazy idea that you find out too late has ruined your health or your family or something else in your life. I want to look at a comparison here. I want to go back to the original Elijah and compare him with the prophets of Baal. See, First Kings. I'll share three verses with you. 1 Kings 18 and verse 26. Now remember, we're here at Mount Carmel. And there's a showdown, essentially. And they built a big altar. And uh, Elijah basically said, if your God is the true God, He'll bring fire down from heaven. Right? And consume that offering. You remember the showdown? Okay? Verse 26, And they took the bullock, these are the prophets of Baal, they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us! But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. They're making a big show of it, aren't they? Kind of being crazy. Verse 28, and they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancelets till the blood gushed out upon them. So they're jumping around and they're screaming for Baal to answer them. They're taking knives and they're cutting themselves. There are cultures today that still do this over in Africa. Did Baal answer them? Did fire come down from heaven and consume Look at verse 36. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Elijah came, prepared it, brought all kinds of water, you remember, poured on the sacrifice, knelt down calmly, and prayed to God. Can you see the calm demeanor of the prophet Elijah? 
how it stands out in sharp contrast with the fanatical, senseless frenzy of the, the, the followers of Baal? You, see a, you will see a sharp contrast. And you'll see it throughout the Bible. There is a sharp contrast in, in behavior, isn't there? Most of the time, you'll see a sharp contrast. Now remember, a true prophet must have good fruit. When you listen to what a true prophet says, you'll have good results in your life. Okay? So, test seven. A true prophet will not lead people into fanaticism. You can see how the prophets of Baal, they were false prophets, how they behaved, very fanatical, versus the true prophet of God, Elijah. Very calm, prayerful to God. Did God answer Elijah's prayer? Not only did fire come down from heaven, it consumed even the very dirt. <laughs> Not just the sacrifice. God, God put a big exclamation point on it. But I want to give you an example. Several years ago, and, and, and my family, I think, has probably heard this several times, there was a man who claimed to be a prophet who called himself David Koresh. You ever heard of David Koresh? He, was professed to, he professed to have a special message from God. He and some of his followers went around to different churches in the United States. And wherever they went, wives would leave their husbands. They would follow this man here and there and finally to a compound in Waco, Texas. And I know this to be true, for I had, I had to personally deal with this man, who at the time of our encounter was known as Vernon Howell. This man destroyed families. This man destroyed churches. What was his actual name? His, his actual name was Vernon Howell. And because he believed that he was a prophet of God, he was given the name David Koresh. Essentially, he believed that he was the Messiah. But he destroyed families. He destroyed churches, and that's not a good fruit. A true prophet does not go around breaking up families in God's church, does he? I mean, not intentionally so. Jesus said that a true prophet would bear good fruit. You can read that in Matthew 7. But that's an example. A true prophet will not lead people into fanaticism. And it can be shown over and over the many uh, errors that David Koresh held compared to the Bible. Test 8. True prophet will build up and edify the church. They will not tear it apart. That goes along with test 7, see? The example I've given. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Okay. Of course, uh, the narrow context here, Paul's talking about speaking in tongues and having an interpreter. But the greater context is that uh, a true prophet is going to edify the church. Now, when you point out the sins of the church, that's a part of edifying the church. Those things have to be corrected. The church has to come into repentance. Okay. Test number nine. A true prophet will live and teach in harmony with preceding prophets and the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Many False prophets fail at this. This is a big test. Isaiah 8 verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, there is no light in them. The Ten Commandments, friends, and the testimony of His prophets as revealed in inspiration. So you have the Ten Commandments there in Exodus 20, and in Deuteronomy repeated, then you have the rest of the Bible. That's the testimony of the prophets. You see, the prophets of God were His witnesses or His spokesmen, and the testimony they bore was His message of wisdom and life to, to His people. And here's the tenth test. A true Bible prophet must have visions and dreams. Period. If they don't, they're not from God. Friends, that's what the Bible says. Numbers 12, 6. 
Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So notice, friends, if anyone claims to be a prophet, the Lord says if he or she is really a prophet, a prophet of God, God will make himself manifest to that person. In what way? He's going to communicate to them in a vision and in a dream. Now what happens to a prophet when they're in a vision? It's really rather interesting. The book of Daniel gives us a, a good description, maybe a fuller description of a prophet in a vision than any other place in the Bible. Um, although there are a few other descriptions, don't get me wrong now. The most complete description of a prophet in vision is in Daniel chapter 10. Beginning with verse 7, Daniel gives the record of this, this vision. He says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. So, if you have a prophet of God that goes into vision while you're around, it's going to, it's going to draw your attention. And it drew these men's attention, and they were terrified, and they fled. Why? Well, there's some things that happen while prophets envision that are supernatural. And these other men realize that something supernatural was happening. And that's what occurs when a prophet's envision. Other people, you know, that are around realize something supernatural is happening. Well, what is this supernatural thing? Let's go to verse 8. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me. Start to pick out here some of the things. There remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me up upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And then you'll find, he's dropped down to verse 15, he received instruction from the angel about the latter day. And then it says here, you know, from verse 12 on you find that. In verse 15 he says, When he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. That means he couldn't talk. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Take note of that. Then came, then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. So Daniel says, How can I talk to you, Lord, when I'm not breathing? There's no breath left in me. Now, maybe you guys have done this. Maybe you noticed this. Most of us probably understand this. If you took a mirror right now and you put this mirror right in front of your face and you, you spoke, moisture would gather on the mirror. Because when you talk, the air is coming out of your mouth. Right? So this test of a prophet, this sign, I should say, this sign is a significant sign. A prophet in vision does not breathe. Would you say that's supernatural? That's a supernatural experience. Now, friends, this is something that's pretty hard to fake. All right? Pretty hard to fake. Ellen White was envisioned sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for several hours, never breathing. You can't fake that. So, 
A careful uh, reading of these verses in Daniel 10 shows us six things that happened to Daniel the prophet when he was in vision. First, he lost his strength, and uh, sometimes often they'll fall down wherever they are in a deep sleep, what appears to be a deep sleep, almost as if they're dead. Uh, And despite that sleep, number two, he heard a voice speaking to him. And number three, in the vision he arose to his hands and knees, then to his feet when the being touched him. He got some strength. Four, at first he was dumb, he couldn't speak, but when his lips are touched, he's enabled to speak. Number five, throughout the vision, he's without breath of any kind. His breath totally ceases. Number six, strength is given him during the vision. Now that's Daniel. A seventh condition for prophet and vision is given in Numbers 24 and verse 4. It says, He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. This is something else you'll find. This is number seven. What you'll notice about a prophet who's in in a vision. During the vision, their eyes remain open. They do not blink. So they don't breathe, and they don't blink. And so what we've just, we've just seen in Daniel Numbers are the biblical tests of a prophet that's in vision. And we already use these tests in determining, and along with the other tests I've given, those ten tests, uh, uh, who has the gift of prophecy and who does not. Now God has given us these tests so that we may... Now there are... You can find other... I didn't share all the scriptures with you on this, of course. There are other scriptures that, that fall within those ten. Okay, they talk about the life of the prophet and such. Okay. But you can use these ten to test any person who claims to be a prophet or somebody thinks they're a prophet, etc. And God has given these tests so that we may not be deceived. Because Jesus warned us that there would be false prophets. Huh? Testing one, two. Having microphone issues here. Testing one, two. Do we have... Hello? Testing one, two. Okay. It's very important that after testing a prophet that we hold fast to the good though for Satan always tries to discredit God's messengers and causes us to lose faith in them. See, there will always be doubts brought up about a prophet of God. So we've got to be careful. Let's not sin against and quench the Holy Spirit by despising prophecies. See, Something else that is very important to understand is that when God appoints a prophet He sends them to His people. Okay. You can see uh, 1 Corinthians 12 for that. Now what we must do is test Ellen G. White and all others to see if they pass all the biblical tests of a true prophet of God. And if one does, then we cannot ignore this, friends, or we will be guilty of quenching the Spirit. We should praise God when we recognize a true prophet of God. For God has loved us enough to send one to us. Uh, like I was saying, what we need to do is take these tests now and uh, uh, compare them to anyone who professes to be a prophet. And if someone does pass the tests, we can't ignore that and be safe, can we? I kind of take encouragement in, in uh, knowing that God loves us enough that He would send us a true prophet if somebody passed the test of a true prophet. Wouldn't you? So, let's take a closer look at the list of prophets that I mentioned before and what they taught and believed and compare them uh, to the biblical tests. Now, I'm just going to run through these real quick, but uh, you can do your own research. Remember I talked about Ann uh, Lee and the Shakers? Notice what she believed and taught. She believed that and taught that God is dual. He's not three... Uh, male beings per se in one Godhead, but it's a father and a mother. Mm -hmm, That's what she taught. 
Uh, her, uh, uh, she was called Mother Anne. You remember that uh, a number of people called uh, Ellen White Mother White. See what the devil does? Mother Anne taught that there is no resurrection of the body. She taught that the souls of all men have endless existence or an immortal soul. She also taught that Jesus has already returned. Now, uh, we understand that those are some big, big errors, don't we? Um, look at Ecclesiastes 9.5, read in Job what, uh, what uh, I opened uh, the uh, uh, service with uh, this morning in Psalms 115. You'll find that uh, when you die, you're in the grave. I mean, don't have an immortal soul. So we, those, and there's a, there's a greater list than that uh, for her that uh, strikes her out as a true prophet of God. Joanna Southcott believed and taught that she was the woman spoken of in Revelation 12, 1 to 6. You know, the woman standing on the moon with the sun. And, and of course, we know biblical uh, prophecy interpretation is that a woman in prophecy is a church. It's a symbol of a church. It's not a literal woman. That strikes her out. But some other things, her behavior. For certain sums of money, she would, quote, seal you as one of the 144,000. At the age of 64, she affirmed that she was pregnant and would be delivering the new Messiah. Yeah, exactly. The date of 19th October 1814 was fixed for the birth of the new Messiah, but he failed to appear. And she died not long after that. So see, you, you can tell, well, she's not a true prophet of God. Joseph Smith, he believed and taught that Christians become gods and goddesses. Where did we hear that originally? Isn't that in Genesis? Isn't that what Satan said to Eve? God knows if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like him. A god. Joseph Smith taught that men can have multiple wives in heaven. Even eternal polygamy, you could call it. He taught that God the Father had sex with Mary to conceive Jesus. I'm not making this up. They teach that Mary really wasn't a virgin. This is one that gets me, and this is easily verifiable. Joseph Smith revealed that the actual Garden of Eden is in Jackson County, Missouri. Oh, really? News to me. They teach that Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. They teach that the Bible is untrustworthy and is full of errors. They actually have their own Bible, you see. Joseph Smith? Mm-hmm, the Mormons. Mormons teach that there's no salvation without Joseph Smith. They teach that Joseph Smith holds the keys to the kingdom of God. That people will stand before God, Jesus, and Joseph Smith on Judgment Day. This is what they teach. Now that easily, you know, my daughter's laughing because it's absurd. We know what the Bible says. He's not a true prophet. What about Mary Baker Eddy? Well, she believed that the creation narrative in the book of Genesis is all an allegory. It's not real. It's not true. She also believes that God is both father and mother. She taught that there is no final judgment, no heaven or hell. It's only states of mind. She taught that death is an illusion that can be conquered through the conquest of sin. A person who seems to die simply adjusts to another level of consciousness inaccessible to the living. So there's that immortal soul again. Get this. She taught that Jesus did not die on the cross, that He was conscious in His tomb, and He healed Himself. Isn't that the big thing with Christian scientists, you see? Your faith heals you. She taught that the atonement of Jesus was not a... Uh, propitiary service. In other words, it wasn't a sacrifice for us. Well, how could it be if he never died? All right? And she regarded her book, get this, that book, Science and Health, as the second coming of Jesus. The Word of God, see? 
So, friends, I'll tell you, the, the Bible declares each one of these people to be false prophets. Well, what about Ellen White? Does she pass the tests? Well, my friends, I've studied this for many years. I've compared her life, her teachings, her beliefs, and predictions to tests in the Bible, and she's passed every one. Remarkably so. Let's look at them. Ten tests. She told the truth directly to individuals, through testimonies, to the church, through preaching and prophesying, and her predictions have come true. I'll share a couple with you in a few moments. She prophesied always in the Lord's name as moved by the Spirit of God. She never took credit for anything, but always pointed to Jesus. She never gave a private interpretation of Scripture. She revealed all that the Lord had her reveal and left her opinions out of it. She pointed out the sins of God's people. And if you've ever read the testimonies, you know that to be very true. She warned God's people of the judgment. Goodness, friends, she trumpeted the three angels' messages, which includes the judgment warning, first angel. She taught the biblical truth about the human nature of Jesus Christ, that He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. She didn't lead people into fanaticism, but fought against it. If you read the history, you'll know this. She laid it bare for all to see the danger. She built up and edified the, tur- the church. Excuse me. Today she's considered to be the co-founder of Seventh-day Adventism. All her teachings, testimonies, and writings are in harmony with preceding prophets of God and the law of God. Ten Commandments. She had visions and dreams during which she sometimes fell down, weakened, and appeared to be in a deep sleep. And despite the sleep, she heard a voice speaking to her. In the vision and at times in physical action, she arose to her hands and knees and to her feet when being in the vision... That being in her vision touched her. At first she couldn't speak, but when her lips were touched, she wasn't able to speak. You could hear her. Throughout the vision, she was without breath of any kind. Her breathing totally ceased, sometimes up to, I think one of her visions, she was in vision for five hours. Without breathing. Strength was given her during her vision. One time she held up a Bible that weighed several pounds for almost an hour, if I recall. People tried to pull her arm down. Couldn't move it. She's in vision, given extraordinary strength. During the vision, her eyes remained open. Never blinked. Never breathed. Friends, they're eyewitnesses account. I'm not making any of this up. Her first vision took place in December of 1844. Her last known vision concerned the welfare of youth and was given on March 3, 1915. She received about 2,000 visions and prophetic dreams during 70 years of public ministry. That averages to almost three visions each month for 70 years. Now I'm just going to give you a few short examples of what I'm talking about because I've laid, laid the evidence out really before in the previous studies and you can request, and people can hear me, you can request a free a copy of our four-part television series that we've got on DVD we produced a few years ago if you want more information about this prophet of the end times. There are also some very good books that are more exhaustive in content concerning Ellen G. White that I'd highly recommend, such as Ellen G. White, Messenger to the Remnant by Arthur L. White, Messenger of the Lord by Herbert E. Douglas, and A Prophet Among You by T. Housel Jemison. That's a good resource as well. I encourage you to study it out, friends. Now here are a few predictions. And I'm going to hurry along here. But here are a few predictions that were made by Ellen White. And I'm going to give their fulfillment so you can get a glimpse of the evidence concerning her calling as a prophet, especially saying the truth and predictions coming true. On September 1st, 1902, Ellen White predicted judgments of God on Oakland and San Francisco, California. She said, quote, Not long hence, these cities will suffer under the judgments of God. San Francisco and Oakland are becoming as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord will visit them in wrath. That was September 1st, 1902. Fulfillment. 
San Francisco earthquake, April 18, 1906. 28,000 buildings destroyed either by earthquake or fire in the San Francisco area alone. And the area of destruction included the surrounding cities also. Oakland was a part of that. In 1890, Ellen White made this prediction. Quote, The Lord will arise to shake terribly the earth. We shall see troubles on all sides. Thousands of ships will be hurled into the depths of the sea. Navies will go down. And human lives will be sacrificed by millions. Fires will break out unexpectedly. And no human effort will be able to quench them. The palaces of earth will be swept away in the fury of the flames. Disasters by rail will become more and more frequent. Confusion, collision, and death without a moment's warning will occur on the great lines of travel. The earth, excuse me, the end is near. Probation is closing. Oh, let us seek God while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's a partial fulfillment. You know, she predicted all this. Uh, um, in 1890, that was before World War One, World War Two, all the wars since, all the calamities since. That's why it's a prediction. See, did you know in World War Two, 782 German submarines uh, were sunk. Allied ships sunk, 23,351. Military personnel killed or missing, 10,650,000. That was just uh, for the Allied forces. The major Axis powers, which were the enemies, 4.6 million. That's from the Encyclopedia Britannica. She said, human lives will be sacrificed by millions. And friends, if we're watching, we know we've seen huge wildfires that couldn't be contained or quenched, burn through state after state out west. Train crashes, plane crashes, ships and ferries sink without a moment's notice. Hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes more and more frequently, just as the Bible predicted and just as the entire prophet has predicted. And here's something that may really hit close to our time. In 1909, Ellen White penned these words. She said, On one occasion, when in New York City, I was in the night season, called upon to behold buildings. She was in a vision here. Called upon to behold buildings rising story after story toward heaven. These buildings were warranted to be fireproof, and they were erected to glorify their owners and builders. The scene that next passed before me was an alarm of fire. Men looked at the lofty and supposedly fireproof buildings and said, they are perfectly safe. But these buildings were consumed as if made of pitch. The fire engines could do nothing to stay the destruction. The firemen were unable to operate the engines. If you will recall, on September 11, 2001, the World Trade Centers were hit by passenger planes. And the fire that ensued eventually leveled the buildings to the ground. And the firemen were indeed unable to operate the engines. They arrived, but they could do nothing, see. Could be a partial fulfillment, don't you think? Now, I've shared a very small portion of predictions that are being fulfilled. And I will say that if there is somebody hearing this who has never been exposed to this information before, I'm not trying to push something off on you. All I'm saying is check it out. Check it out for yourself, prayerfully. Just get down on your knees and say, Lord, is this really true? Have you really sent to us a special messenger? Please help me, Lord, to see the evidence. And God will always answer that prayer of faith, friends. And I'm going to tell you, please check it out. Because I believe she's a prophet of God. I believe she passes every test. In fact, I'm more than confident to say so. And I encourage you to gain that confidence as well. You see, I've read her books for almost 30 years. I've checked them over thousands of times with the Bible. They always agree in everything I've found. 
And the knowledge in her books has led me closer to Jesus. And that's a big thing, isn't it? They've helped me to know Him better. That's a good fruit. And the Bible says to prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And I've checked it out. i found that it's good. So. Now, the reason I haven't gone into greater detail of Alan White is because that's not the, the context of this study. See? One of the ten identifying attributes of the church is that it will have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember? That's what our context is. We're defining God's church. And one particular fruit of the church of God will, is that it will have the gift of prophecy. And this is one of the identifying attributes of the church of God in our day. The last days. And we have identified that Elijah prophet, I believe, friends, as Ellen White, who by God's Spirit led people to the truth for our time by her testimony. And by her testimony still today is preparing a people to meet Jesus when He comes again. She is the Elijah prophet sent to the Second Advent Movement, friends. So let's not fall prey. Let's not fall prey to the higher criticism techniques that have doubt at its core. Let's reject the theory of evolution and uniformitarianism that uh, deny the Creator. Let's not be deceived by modern spiritualism that prepares people to receive the mark of the beast and partake of the sins of Babylon fallen. The end time prophet was sent to help us not to fall prey to these things. Remember the Jews in the time of Christ missed what God wanted them to know because they did not accept the gift of prophecy that God sent to them just before Jesus came. They missed it. The most wonderful thing that God sent to them and they missed it. That was, that was a major part of the reason why they rejected the Messiah, Jesus. So beloved, let's not do as they did. Let us not miss the Elijah prophet that God has sent to His people to prepare them for Christ's second coming. Let us accept God's gifts and prepare ourselves and others for His soon return. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we again thank You so much, Lord, for Your Holy Word. We thank You for the Holy Spirit that's been given to lead us into the truth. The truth about ourselves and our condition and uh, the truth about Your church. The truth about the gifts of the Spirit and the tests that you've given in your word to test prophets to see whether they are truly sent from you or not. And Father, we recognize that this is an identifying mark of the end-time church. We recognize that there is one who passes the tests. Father, we thank you for sending such a precious gift to your people. For those who have doubts, Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to lead them to study and to understand. Come to to understand that this is indeed a prophet sent from you. And she was sent to the Advent Movement, Second Advent Movement. May we remain faithful, Lord, to your word and to the testimonies that we've been given. Please continue to be with us throughout this Sabbath day. Keep us safe. May we be found faithful when Jesus returns. We pray in his name.